This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It just seems to me that you Americans are very good at taking new technology and finding new ways to rot with it. Animals. The following podcast contains... You cannot say filth, flying filth, flying filth in front of people. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you send out enough compact disc in the mail to stretch them one after another from coast to coast... The hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is episode number 395, the America Anthropocene edition of the show, where we talk about how we all got on the internet back in the 1990s on America Online. Stay tuned. The What the Hell Are You Thinking podcast is brought to you by Dwayne's Dial-Up, because as always, 1995 at Dwayne's. Are you worried about your family spending too much time online, looking to help to keep the bad parts of the internet away from your kids? Are filter programs and blocking software just a little too technical for you? What if I told you there's a better way? At Dwayne's Dial-Up, the last dial-up internet provider in America with our 56K modem access, you can still be online, but only barely. You remember what it was like waiting for something to download on Dial-Up? You think your kids have the patience to sit through that? Yo, they don't. Dwayne's blocking out the bad parts safely, but still allowing text-based internet browsing since 1995. Dwayne's is cheaper than broadband, just $19.95 a month for unlimited internet access and email. I mean, that's pretty much all you can do. No games, no videos, and no naughty pictures. Dwayne's dial-up, keeping kids safe online just like it was 1995. Every day, America Online is making it easier for people to live, work, and play. Hey, Dan, ready for the game? I can't go to the game today. What? I gotta send my mom a birthday gift, then book plane tickets for our trip next week, and my kids gotta go to the library to look up dinosaurs. Hey, we can take care of that right now with America Online. We can? Yeah, we can send your mom flowers, order those plane tickets. We can even look up dinosaurs in Compton's Encyclopedia. With America Online, you get instant news and sports, financial updates, online magazines, and easy access to the Internet. Call now for your free America Online startup kit and 10 free online hours. Flowers are sent, plane tickets are booked, here come the dinosaurs. That's great. Downloading's easy. I can even send an email on the Internet. And we'll check it all out later, after the game. So how do you get America Online? Well, that's easy, too. You just call their 800 number. Call 1-800-346-0600 now for your free America Online startup kit with free software and 10 free online hours. It's everything you need to get online. So call 1-800-346-0600. When it comes to technology, I am not now, nor was I ever, an early adopter. A friend of mine in freshman year high school showed me his Commodore 64. I wasn't impressed. When he ran down the rather short list of all the things that could do our conversation, it became tense. Was that all? Is that all? It just didn't seem that impressive. A few text-based video games, the ability to program the machine to display the word fart on the scrolling display, funny, but not impressive. 
I didn't use a computer until 1988 when I was in the military. See, the Air Force purchased like 90,000 of these big beige boxes and plopped them on as many desks as they could, where they mostly sat ignored by the grizzled veterans in lieu of their beloved IBM Selectrix. Yes, a beautiful, glorious machine. So as young folks had zero training on this obtuse and wonky computer, we were ordered to use because the government had spent $242 million on them. I'm, I'm sure that that was totally innocent. You saying that I took a, a kickback? I think I am. It's the most likely explanation for something no one wanted and no one knew how to use. It took a couple of years, but I finally learned the ins and outs of the old Zenith Z100 how DOS worked and how to use the most important programs like Lotus Notes, which was Excel before Excel, and of course the er word processor of them all, WordStar 7.0. R. Martin will be there. Speaking as someone who considered himself a power user of WordStar, maybe if George were to upgrade to say Word 3.0, he could finish a book a little faster than every 20 fucking years. Those Z100s were practically indestructible. I was still using one nearly a decade later because when the military buys something, they get their money's worth out of it. I mean, even if it's become laughably antiquated and basically unusable, I mean, why do you think the B-52 is still flying? I guarantee you right now, there's some geriatric general somewhere with a Z-100 on his desk and his staff are still typing C colon backslash backslash general goofy backslash files backslash letters backslash tactical brief 2023.wsd because the old man has refused to learn anything new since 1992. And that is why we have greatest military force in the world. The people that run it. But I'm not here to talk about DOS boxes and antiquated word processors. I'm here to talk about slightly less antiquated online access programs. The history of America Online. If you're listening to me via some sort of electronic device, which is pretty much the only way you could be listening to me, well, I guess you could be like my neighbors who hear it through the door, you're at least familiar with AOL. If you're Gen X, chances are it's how you first connected your Packard Bell 486 computer to the internet. I see this great deal, but if there's a catch, I'll find it. So I go to Best Buy. I ask this smurf-looking guy in a blue shirt about this 486SX Packard Bell. He tells me it's got 170 megabyte hard drive, 2 megs of memory. I go, but what else would I need? He says it's all here. Super VGA color monitor, Epson printer, software. I ask how much. He says $12.98. I say no, I mean for the computer and all that other stuff. He says $12.98. I say, how do I pay for it? He says with 0% financing, no payments, no interest for 6 months on any computer. So I say, what's the catch? He goes, it's this week only. I knew there was a catch. My millennial listeners honed their online chops on AOL. Or at least what they considered AOL. What are you trying to say? I'm trying to say that you're not really on AOL. You are an AOL instant messenger. An instant message pops up. It's having a verbal chat electronically. AIM was part of AOL. But you did not to need to be on AOL to use AIM. Indeed, by the late 1990s, most of you weren't. And by the early 2000s, none of you were. 
I see uh, I'm going to have to try and explain things a little more clearly. You didn't explain anything. Well, I'm just getting started with the podcast. It all begins back in 1983. Ronald Reagan was president. He said it again. And America was technology crazy. We were in love with things that beeped, whirred, and flashed, and increasingly those beeping, whirring, flashy things were home computers. It was one level of nerddom to have a computer in your home. But for your computer to be able to talk to other computers made you a nerd among nerds. You're not a god. Of course not. But you knew God's handle on your local BBS. A BBS or bulletin board system was a proto-AOL, a server-based version of a cork board in a dorm room. A user could dial into a BBS, upload a downward software, read messages, post messages, and even play turn-based text games. The magazine InfoWorld estimated that there were over 60,000 BBSs serving 17 million users in the United States alone in 1994. Back to 1983, two General Electric employees by the name of Dave Pansel and Howard Goldberg were tinkering with a new kind of BBS service to pair with the increasing graphics capabilities in computers. They dreamed of a sleeker, faster BBS with real-time communication and much more, much more powerful gaming experiences. They managed to get some investors to put $2.5 million, almost $7.5 million in 2023 money, into a new software that they designed that they called Play.net. A couple of years later, Play.net licensed their software to a company called Control Video Corporation, which was a service that allowed users with a special modem and storage cartridge to connect their Atari 2600 and download exclusive games for a hefty fee. 60 bucks for the hardware, $15 a month for the membership, and $1 for game, which you could only keep for about one week, and it took you that long to download the software. CBC leased the software and began offering it to its users, and a short time later, changed its name to Quantum Computer Services. It, it was the 80s. And they called the software Q-Link. In 1991, the Play.net software was ported onto an IBM PC, and the company changed its name once again to America Online. America Online, it didn't shorten down to AOL for many more years, was not the first online provider. This was before we called going online being on the internet. I mean, we, we had to go through that whole unfortunate information superhighway phase to just get to calling it the internet. CompuServe was the oldest, being founded in 1969 and largely for buying for business customers. It created the first commonly used online chat, pioneered business email, and online stock exchange information. It was Radio Shack that brought CompuServe to the home market on their Tandy computers. On the heels of CompuServe came Prodigy Online in 1984, a partnership of CBS, IBM, and Sears. I'm a broadcast journalist. This is a very glamorous profession. I got new problems every day. But now I've got a new solution. This is it. It's called Prodigy. It's a new computer service. From here, I can go shopping without leaving home. And from Dow Jones, I can find out about my stocks, all one of them. Here, I can get Robert Novak's political column, and I can talk back to him. Prodigy from a partnership of IBM and Sears. And I can buy stocks and make all my travel plans. Prodigy. See it at a dealer near you. Bet you never thought that creaky old Sears of catalog and tough skin jeans fame was a technology company, did you? They were an online retail pioneer. Jeff Bezos wouldn't be nearly as rich as he is today. I mean, he'd still be really rich if it weren't for Sears and Prodigy. That was until they weren't, 
And that's largely because of America Online. Now, online services remained very niche products through the 1980s, mostly for one reason. No Windows. No Windows. Everything was on DOS, or Disk Operating System. DOS was a command line interface operating system, meaning you had to know things like DOS commands, what those commands were and what they did, and type those commands into the system exactly as they were written, then the computer would do stuff. There were no icons, no mouse, just black and green text. DOS was and is very powerful. You can still use a version of it to do things in modern computers today. Control-C, Control-V, anyone. Because it's faster, easier, and more efficient for programming in particular than a graphic interface. But only if you know what the fuck you're doing. And the average user, myself very much included, has no fucking clue what we're doing. Everything was on DOS in the 80s. Even Apple, until the Lisa came along but really not until the Macintosh came along. The IBM computers were DOS and DOS only until Windows 1.0 was released, and even then, you still kind of had to know DOS to do pretty much anything. It wasn't until Windows 95 that DOS truly became a background program that the average user never thought about, never touched, and was only barely aware of. And this coincided with when online service providers really coming into the consciousness of the neophyte computer user. It worked like this. Say you were a young person, perhaps a young man, because computers were heavily marketed to young men, who would come into some money. Perhaps you'd just returned from three months in a Central American country on a drug and addiction mission that you couldn't really talk about because a lot of it was in other Central American countries that didn't exactly know you were in their country. Is there a point to this? I'm getting there. When you return to the States, you have rather a lot of money in the bank because you didn't spend money on anything in Central America except maybe booze and sex workers and frankly they weren't that expensive so you had a couple of grand in your bank and you decided to head into sacramento to blow some of that hard-earned cash you go down to say um circuit city thinking maybe you'll buy a new stereo or something but when you get there you remember this commercial that you just seen on the tv at circuit city the big names you want are all under one roof all at unbeatable low prices plus get your choice of zero percent interest for 12 months on any computer or 10 percent off any computer like this packard bell 486 sx 33 with monitor just 1099.94 with zero percent or 989.95 after 10 percent off and this magnavox 25 inch tv is just 277.97 so not much later you find yourself in the computer aisle and a little while after that dudes in red shirts are loading boxes into the trunk of your chevy cavalier now you could have paid cash the entire three grand for this computer because trust me that commercial lied they wanted nearly three grand for it that's close to $6,000 today's money, but they were just giving away financing. So by the time you paid that thing off in like three years, you'd probably look closer to ten grand in today's money. But you know, you're young, you're dumb, and so susceptible to a good financing pitch. Besides, what else did you have to spend money on your retirement? You're in the military. You weren't going to need that. So you drive home, haul those boxes into your dorm room, put together your brand new Packard Bell computer with printer monitor and that Doom game you'd been seeing people play in the stores. And after a few months, you get a little bored of playing Doom and you're staring at the monitor of your exceedingly expensive impulse buy and wondering, what else does it do? And there's this icon. In this case, it's a stylized P. So you click on it. 
And up pops this window asking you to plug in your phone number because they will conveniently charge all of this to your phone bill. So you punch in your digits and there's this screeching noise and then things flash across the screen and all of a sudden... You are connected, and it's like nothing you've ever seen before. Well, actually, in your case, you have on the system, system cops used to run license plates and check for criminal warrants, but this, this is so different because you could do things on this that you would literally go to jail if you tried to do on the cop terminal. You can buy stuff. You can read news. You can play games. You can read encyclopedia articles. You can see photos of places you'll never visit, but most importantly, most seductively, you can talk to people you've never met, probably never will meet, and some of them, just some of them, might be women. There never were any girls. Hey, in those days, there were actually a few girls. Not, not everyone you talked to in the very early days was a creepy-ass 50-year-old man pretending to be a teenage girl. And that is how most Americans went online for the very first time. Some of the details may vary. You probably didn't have a backstory about an international drug and addiction mission like so many did, but the rest of it, the obscenely expensive impulse buy and usurous credit scheme, probably exactly the same. The biggest difference was whether or not you had a stylized P or a stylized A that determined whether you logged on to Prodigy or American Online for the first time. Back in those days, the online service provider paid rather a lot of money for a tiny chunk of pixelated real estate on your desktop because what you had on the computer when you bought it was largely what you had on your computer forever. It wasn't like you could download something from the internet. In the mid-1990s, it was Prodigy, but by the late 1990s, you were clicking on that A. Now, what you need to understand, because we didn't understand then, is that AOL was not the internet. You were online, but you were not on the internet. They are the same. They are definitely not the same. Online service providers gave us what is called a walled garden. TechTarget.com describes a walled garden as, quote, an environment that controls the user's access to network-based content and services. In effect, the walled garden directs the user's navigation within particular areas to enable access to a selection of material or prevent access to other material, unquote. If you clicked a link or used an AOL keyword, it took you to content created specifically by and for AOL. You could, kinda, if you knew what you were doing, get over the garden wall, but AOL did not make it easy. And even fewer than that cared. They were being spoon-fed content by AOL. You could spend all your time online within the confines of AOL. After all, there was so much to do. Well, really, there wasn't. You you could send emails, which, yeah, those could reach outside the garden. Or you could chat with the other people on AOL, which was everyone. So you hardly needed to worry about that. Facebook has been trying for years to get us back inside the walls of that garden. This whole metaverse bullshit is nothing more than Zuckerberg trying to do what Steve Case did with AOL back in the 1990s. And to be fair, AOL did have a lot of content, credit where credit is due. You could log on to AOL and spend hours sifting through pages of news, sports, and entertainment. You could play games, and there were the thousands of chat rooms. AOL spent a lot of time and money making you want to spend more time on AOL. Sounds expensive. It was. 
But when you're raking in money hand over fist, you can spend a little more to make a lot more because in the early days of AOL, AOL had you by the balls. Complex.com explained in the original pricing scheme, quote, back in 1993, you get five hours of America Online used for $9.95. An AOL press release from that year can give you a picture of what internet was like back then. AOL expects that 90% of its customers will not use more than five hours per month, so they'll just pay the fixed rate of $9.95. Heavy users will be able to purchase additional online time beyond the initial initial five free hours at the rate of $3.50 an hour, unquote. I, uh, I speak from sad experience just how quickly five hours can fly by when you're chatting with someone who may or may not be a woman, and by chatting, I mean having cyber sex in a personal messaging window. Hey, too much information, brother. And that hourly charge can rack up rather a lot over a 30-day period. I mean, a whole fucking lot. Like I said, in the earliest days, this could go directly onto your telephone bill, meaning that a lot of people suddenly found themselves with a bloated bill from their bells. The phone companies quickly put the kibosh on that, and so you had to input a credit card number. And $500 AOL bills on your credit card were not exactly what I would call uncommon. Damn it, Dave. That isn't even bringing up the fact that you got a busy signal a lot with AOL and you wound up calling long distance to get access. And, oh, yeah, there were the long distance charges with to, uh, my, uh, my online girlfriend. Really, really Dave? Dave? Look, she was totally a real person. I mean, I, I had pictures and everything. I, I've talked to her since... N- never mind. So that computer wound up costing me a lot more money than just the uh, outrageous price and the criminal finance charges because I'm not even mentioning how I kind of put all those AOL bills on a government credit card that I was only supposed to use for official travel and then I had to pay it off real fucking quick to keep from being booted out of the military? You're not very bright, are you? No. No, uh, I wasn't. AOL quickly became the way you went online. But what if, just say, what if you bought your computer and for some reason it didn't have that stylized A on the desktop? What if you didn't know how to set up your computer's modem to dial into AOL? What if, you know, you were like... An old folks, old people... In 1994, AOL had 1 million subscribers. By 1995, it topped 4 million. By September of 97, they had 9 million. And by 1999, 17 million people were subscribed to AOL. That is phenomenal user growth. And it happened because AOL did two things. It instituted a flat fee for unlimited access and started a brilliant, if incredibly annoying, marketing campaign. It's here! The new AOL disc is here. We turn to Mental Floss for the details. Quote, in order to propel the world into the digital future, AOL first had to take the step back into the past. Issuing expensive TV commercials and marketing campaigns for other web providers like Prodigy were running, AOL spread the word about its internet service through people's mailboxes. The idea with the brainchild of Jan Brandt, the company's chief marketing officer. She was brought to AOL to increase the company's subscriber base, and her idea in 1993 was simple. 
Use the antiquated strategy of direct mail campaigns to get free trial discs, originally floppy and later CDs, straight into the hands of consumers. This would, in theory, lead to a paying customer once that trial expired. The first campaign and its initial smaller marketing cost of $250,000 to get it off the ground went into, the spec- in the, went into effect in the spring and summer of 1993. While most direct mail campaigns are lucky to get 2 or 3% response rate, Brandt's idea yielded 10% response rate. People weren't just using the trials. They were signing up for AOL services and becoming paid subscribers in droves. It all started when AOL teamed up with Blockbuster to give their disc away to consumers. Soon after, the dam had burst as people were suddenly besieged with disc everywhere they turned. They were at Best Buy and Barnes and Nobles, tucked inside magazines, in people's morning cereal box, on their fast food trays. Pretty much anywhere eyes would be, a disc wouldn't be far behind. One of the stranger stories from AOL's carpet bombing strategy came when the company found out that freezing and thawing these discs wouldn't cause them any damage. Why? So they could be packaged with Omaha steaks, of course. Unquote. This was not a cheap thing to do. CDs cost about a buck fifty each, and AOL estimated they sent out over one billion with the B CDs over the course of the campaign. Some estimates put the cost at thirty-five dollars for every customer that signed up, but that was thirty-five dollars that was well fucking spent. According to that same Mental Floss article, AOL was signing up a new customer every six seconds. It's like me and Beth. By 2002, 25 million people used America Online to get online. AOL was the internet, as far as most people knew or cared. Well, that is if you could get a line on your modem, which you couldn't because AOL was so popular all of a sudden that all the local numbers were busy. And as the service grew, the most common associated sound with getting on AOL was not the modem you've got mail, but the fucking busy signal. It was those busy signals that should have signaled like a harbinger of doom, the end of AOL. Because AOL was like the dealer that got us hooked. And we soon found... We can mainline the internet by using an internet service provider right there in our hometown. And boy, did we ever. My dealer was called JPS.net in Yuba City. And for 20 bucks a month, I got unlimited internet access to the real internet and no busy signals. But before AOL would fall, it would try to touch the sun and take over the world. It was the year 2000, and everything that ended in dot-com was made of pure gold. The tech sector was the darling of Wall Street, and everyone believed this was never going to end. Which is weird, because online service providers were starting to fall like crazy. CompuServe was the first to go. H&R Block, which owned the aging relic, sold the service to WorldCom, which sold the subscribers to AOL. Prodigy had long since lost most of its users to AOL and officially ended in December 1st, 1999, as their servers were allegedly never updated for Y2K. This left AOL as the dominant service provider, so dominant that AOL believed it was time to dive headfirst into legacy media. So, the world's worst business deal in history was born. That's not my editorializing. 
That's what actual business people still call it, the AOL Time Warner merger. Quoting now from The Hollywood Reporter, quote, On January 10th, 2000, Time Warner, then home of the Warners, HBO, CNN, TBS, the Time Warner Cable, and Time Magazine, was bought for $182 billion by AOL, which had 30 million subscribers using this dial-up service to access the internet and email. The union combined the world's largest media conglomerate with the world's largest internet provider. The Hollywood Reporter said the deal created a $350 billion monolith prominent in virtually every corner of the new and old media universe. With power like that, what could possibly go wrong? Everything, it turned out. Within a few months, the economy fell into recession, the dot-com bubble burst, and AOL Time Warner deal was being called the worst merger in history, unquote. Because you see, the companies hated each other. The old media types at Time Warner sneered down their noses, being forced to work beneath the tech types from AOL. The combined board of the two companies clashed over every single fucking business decision at a time which they desperately needed to be working together because the dot-com bubble burst in a big way so badly that even the Pets.com sock puppet was sucking dick in a trap stop just to make drug money. The stock price slid, and it was discovered that AOL had sort of been fudging their ad revenue numbers and was losing subscribers. Why was that happening? Well, because a lot of people stopped doing this. And started doing this. What you did not hear is the silence of broadband internet. DSL and increasingly cable internet brought fast, always-on connections to more and more households around the country, and fewer and fewer people needed AOL to connect to the internet. They bought a package from their phone company or their cable provider, and that freed up their landlines for a generation. By burning money in this merger time with Time Warner, who ironically would go on to be a major player in providing internet via cable after breaking up with AOL, and AOL wasn't spending money on shifting to broadband access. Also, AOL could no longer produce enough original content to keep eyeballs on their own stuff, and their own stuff and the rest of the internet was just starting to get interesting. So the company began to hemorrhage money. The Hollywood Reporter put it thusly, quote, in 2002, the combined company posted a loss of $98.7 billion, still the record for the worst annual loss in corporate history. Although I think that maybe Elon Musk is probably going to break that this year. <laughs> AOL tried desperately to stay relevant, but they were always a step behind the innovators of Web 2.0 and the rise of social media missed AOL entirely. In 2009, AOL bought Bebo, a social network, for $850 million. Do you, uh, do you remember uh, Bebo? I don't. And I think that says everything you need to know about Bebo and AOL's ill-fated attempts to keep even a single toe in the modern tech market. Sidebean.com describes what became of the once mighty internet giant in its waning years. What they describe isn't pretty. Quote, in 2011, AOL bought the Huffington Post. They ventured into filmmaking because why not? And in 2012, created a successful documentary series focused on women in male-dominated industries. 
Then they sold over 800 patents for $1.1 billion to Microsoft out of all places. They still had at that point dial-up subscribers, about 2 million of them. By providing all that sellers and buyers needed in one platform, this chaos seemed to work. By the third quarter of 2014, AOL had $271 million in revenue. Again, not all is fun and games. Patch, the news site that AOL had purchased, lost the money. So AOL sold part of it. And yes, they were nominated for an Emmy. And yes, AOL had managed to keep AOL afloat by buying another company. But AOL was no longer top of the food chain. So inevitably, a bigger company would buy it. In 2015, Verizon dished out $4.4 billion for AOL. The reason why? Just like AOL in the past, Verizon wanted to be the one-stop source for all things. After the purchase, AOL went full into digital advertising, marketing, and audience management, and in 2017, it was merged again. Verizon bought Yahoo's core businesses and merged the two former giants into one division called Oath. Oath would have its own rocky times in 2018. Verizon wrote off $4.6 billion of Oath's value as the competition was too tough, unquote. Today, around 1.5 million people still use AOL. Why would anyone do that to themselves? According to a 2021 article in, on CNBC, quote, in 2015, 2.1 million people were still using AOL's dial-up service. That revenue stream has dried up. The number of dial-up users is now in the low thousands, according to a person familiar with the matter. But AOL still has a fairly lucrative base of customers who pay for technical support and identity theft services each month. They are around 1.5 million monthly customers paying $9.99 or $14.99 a month for AOL advantages, said another person who asked not to be named because the information is private. If the average revenue user is $10 per month conservatively, that's $180 million of annual revenue, unquote. But, you know, between you and me and, well, everyone, really, I strongly suspect that those millions of subscribers are, are pretty far along in years and have forgotten they subscribed in the first place or simply have no fucking clue how to turn the goddamn thing off. Technology is ephemeral. Today's hot company is tomorrow's AOL. Like Facebook and Twitter. Yes, and eventually Amazon, Google, and Apple. Well, maybe not Apple. Apple's more of a religion than a company. Back in 1997, everyone believed that AOL was going to be our on-ramp to the information superhighway, and for a while, it was. But times changed, technology evolved, and even AOL Instant Messenger, which was how the millennial generation talked to each other, faded out of view for text messages, will eventually fade away into whatever we do next, probably neural transfer on a subatomic level or some sort of shit like that. Right now, Facebook or Meta or whatever the fuck they call themselves is the dominant way people talk to each other for better and worse, and Zuckerberg is a child of AOL. He came up on AOL chat and AOL instant messenger. He saw how powerful, how powerful it was, the, how it was the way people talked to each other. One of the things that made Facebook so fucking appealing in the early days is how it was a lot like dropping into your favorite AOL chat room. Everyone knew you, but in this case, they also knew you. AIM was Facebook before Facebook. All your friends were there. You could post your innermost thoughts in an away message, and everyone knew how you felt about your favorite song or just, you know, how fucking funny you were. AOL Instant Messenger taught us how social media worked. 
and how it taught people like Zuck how stupid we were, how we would give anything away just to have our friends think we were cool, funny, or fuckable. Admit it. That's all you want today. AOL was Facebook before Facebook, and, and Zuck is fucking terrified that Facebook will be the next AOL. AOL brought America online, and then America wanted more than AOL can provide. Their end was a combination of ego, bad management, and just plain old... It's basic capitalism. In a few years, short years, AOL went from the dominant force on the internet to a quaint anachronism your grandparents used to send birthday emails to you as a tween. When the first iPhones appear, it didn't kill AOL. It just scooped dirt on AOL's grave. No amount of diversification or content creation could keep that brand alive. But for all that, I got to admit, I have a bittersweet nostalgia for AOL. The internet in those days was simpler. It was maybe even innocent. The rampant consumerism and data harvesting of the modern internet was still in its infancy. And it was mostly just horny people looking for someone to have cyber sex with by dropping into a chat room randomly and shouting ASL and seeing who replied. Also, this is really what kicked off this whole show for me. If you look around in your old books, you stand a pretty good chance of finding an AOL CD tucked in the pages as a bookmark, which is, I just did that. And by 2000 or so, that's the bookmark was the only thing those fucking stupid CDs were good for. Good for. They were just so ubiquitous. There were so many of them out there that someday in the distant future, an archaeologist... Well, there probably won't be from Earth because we'll be dead by then. We'll be digging around in our old landfills and find a layer that is composed of nothing but AOL CDs. And maybe, maybe they'll give that particular window its own geological strata. The America Anthropocene, composed of one billion useless CDs from a long dead people and a longer dead online service. That is it for our show this week. Damn, we keep dipping our toes into the 90s like this. Pretty soon we'll be talking about Jinko jeans. Like, we know what the fuck Jinko jeans were. I was a grown-ass adult in the 90s doing adult shit like drinking beer and dive bars and sleeping with old women old enough to be my mom. Damn, dude. Speaking of things you would rather not know, rate and review this show wherever you get your pods so people can listen and say, Damn, dude, that kid is fucked up. And never take your suggestions on a podcast again. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you think we deserve a buck to pay for our AOL subscription, kick us a buck at patreon.com slash whatthehellpodcast. Now, do whatever Jeremy tells you to do in the closing credits. Otherwise, you will have no choice but to burn the show on CD-ROMs and leave it in your mailbox whether you want it or not. 
So for me, Dave, I want to surf, but I can barely crawl. It's always busy when I try to call Bledsoe. Producer, got a research paper due at school. Some dirty pictures would be awfully cool. Oh, oh my, no. Gavin and all the fictional old men pretending to be teenagers on AIM, we want to say, you've got mail. And back in 1995, that was actually cool and not at all stress-inducing. We'll see you all next week. What the hell were you thinking stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin St. James and several fictional minions. The show is produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings podcast network. You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com, or on Twitter at thehell underscore podcast, or on Facebook as What The Hell Podcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. I used AOL to surf the web.